Hey everyone, welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony, with me as always we have John. You already know that though. Uh, the Kings, man. The Kings. Last time we were talking a week ago, a week ago today, the Kings were on a three-game losing streak, right? <laughs> a week later, they're on a three-game winning streak and playing some of their best defense of the year. Um, that beam is <laughs> getting lit, you know, I guess three nights in a row. But, uh, you know, tough stretch ahead now. Uh, six games on the road. Two-week two week road trip. So, uh, John, what's... Uh, What's going on? I'm just going to kick it off to you. Well, um, I think the most important thing to take away, of course, winning three games before a tough road trip is a big deal. But I think we need to spend a good deal of time talking about this defense. Because it, it's incredible. If Just for reference, in their first 15 games, the defensive rating of this team was 114.9. Um, right now, as it stands, it's 112 even. And in their last seven games in particular, it's 106.1. Uh, <laughs> isn't that fucking incredible? Dude, yeah, I think it's like, I think in their last seven, I think they're the third or fourth best defensive yeah. team in the NBA, which mm-hmm. is incredible because... It just is. I mean, the, the Kings needed to play defense, right? That was that was really their one weakness. Uh, I mean, not their one, but, you know, the biggest hole in this team's, you know, success. And uh, they're playing yeah, they, at a high level right now. Um, everything just seems to be clicking. And it's, I mean, we're on a three-game winning streak for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, this offense, as you're alluding to there, could score with anybody. Exactly. Multiple players have said that. It was even like that late last year after they got Sabonis. And it was always just a question of whether or not the defense could come along. And it really has. And over the last seven, of course, but really over particularly these last three, they won these three games with just excellent defense. Some of the best defense, you know, even against the Phoenix Suns, they played some good defense, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Booker was hitting tough shots, you know what I mean? But (laughs) these guys have put it together in a way that is kind of almost surprising. Just the acceleration in the last like week, week and a half alone. Cause a week ago we were talking about, you know, the defense is making tremendous strides. It's not like we were saying they were terrible or anything, but we were like, you know, can they get up to the middle part or even the top half of the league defensively? Like, and we were both optimistic that at some point this season, maybe in a couple of weeks, down the line that, that that they would be able to do that but it's just they play their next three games and they just stepped on the gas in that regard and it, was, it was really incredible you know they they responded they were listening to the podcast yeah i, I think they were yeah there's three listens we got last week were davion kaziak paul and chemezi metu i believe wow yeah um i mean you could go down the line uh over the last week or so i know I've been really pointing out that like Sabonis is playing. Well, not just me. I know Sack, uh, the Kings film room, Twitter guy. Um, he's been making a lot of good, uh, points and having the video examples on Twitter of just Domas playing fundamentally sound defense. He don't have to be a shot blocker. And that's, that's what I've been pointing out. Calling to, uh, into, uh, 
attention to the SF Chronicle article from earlier this year about him not wanting a shot blocker. He didn't need a shot blocker. If you can have your guys be a vertical presence with good positioning, timing, and uh, commitment, you know, a 6'6 guy can be just as effective as a 7-footer. And that's rung true with Sabonis, and it's rung true down the line. One of the things that you've seen in the last three games in particular, or last four, because one of the prime examples of this happened in the Suns game, and Brendan Nunes pointed this out in a post-game press conference with uh, uh, Mike Brown, I think against the Pacers after that game, after that win, he asked, like, you know, pointing out the fact that there's a lot of guards playing the low man and uh, doing it well. And he asked, like, was it hard for him to, to do that? And it's, you know, the point is that, you know, you saw like Terrence Davis not step up during against the Suns. Mike Brown calls a timeout, physically shows him positioning wise out in the out in the paint during the timeout where he should have been, how he should have been there. And then like two minutes later in the game, he gets a charge. He draws a charge uh, defending the defending the rim and defending the lane. And you see Davion get charges like every game. You see Fox yeah. doing it at times. You Barnes. saw Paula do it even. Barnes. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's down there, anybody that's playing the low man, it's not just Sabonis. And even Metu's had some good moments. Sabonis has had some really good moments. It seems like there's always like three or four really fundamentally – beautiful moments in each game where he plays great defense. And it just seems like all of them can do it. And it's just, if you want to talk about switching, if you want to talk about being a cohesive unit, it's just like, that seems like one of the biggest indications of that. And that has been one of the things that's been standing out to me and many others, as you all know, that's incredible. Yeah. I I think the switching, I I've noticed, you know, it's been really good the last three games for sure. And, that's just something that really just popped out to me on that defense is that it just seems like everyone, I don't know, just the ro- the rotations are just perfect. Like there's never like a guy just wide open. Like, I don't know. It's just been, it's been nice to see. And you can see their hard work paying off with Mike Brown. So, I mean, it's, you know, hats off to the Kings. They, they, they stepped it up big time. Just kind of over, like you said, like, like yeah, maybe in a couple weeks or so, but no, they just kind of got right down to it against the, uh, God, who did we play after the Suns? I don't even remember. Was it? Do you remember? That was the Pacers. The Pacers. Yeah, yeah, the Pacers game. That was just a blowout, too. I thought it was going to be like, you know, an intense game with Halliburton and Heald's return and Sabonis' first game against the Pacers. But, man, the King just blew them out and their defense played a big part in that. And they, you know, quieted Halliburton big time. And, man, yeah. Yeah. It all started right there. by By the end of the game, Halliburton was making boneheaded decisions. Very uncharacteristic of him. Yeah, yeah. And he had like two turnovers, I think, in the fourth quarter. And it's just that's just tough. You know, the defense was overbearing. And mm-hmm. I think it is a testament to the communication, which I think Harrison Barnes a couple of weeks ago noted. He's like, yeah, that's kind of one of the things that just that doesn't happen naturally. Like, or like doesn't happen, I guess, in an instant. Like, it really has to happen over the course of time. And that's kind of why I was like, oh, this will take a couple more weeks. But it's just the communication's clicking. And in terms of rotations, switches, help, all these things, it's just, it's probably all that. It's probably the communication that's the backbone of all that meat that we're seeing in this beautiful defensive stretch that, based on Mike Brown's track record, based on 
more particularly the track record of the Warriors defense last season, you know, the Kings should continue to be able to play like this and continue moving up the rankings. Now, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean they're like top five defensively. Honestly, the way they're playing in the last three games, that wouldn't be like totally crazy. But, you know, top half of the league is a completely realistic thing right now. And it's it's been awesome. And just being able to state a task, too. I mean, like, you got Levine and DeRozan coming in. And, you know, Levine, tip, tip of the cap to the guy. He's, he's longer, he's taller, he's tougher to guard. Let him go off. Let him get his 41. Contain DeRozan. Don't let him slow down the game. This was what Davion Mitchell was talking about. You don't want him to slow down the game, you know, dictate the pace, and get into a rhythm. And they, mostly because of KZ Akpala, did an excellent job of, you know, keeping tabs on him. And it wasn't just Doc Paula, you know. Barnes played some great defense on him. Keegan Murray was excellent in the second half against him. Um, as were other guys, just in terms of having to switch. And there's just all sorts of things that you could say about this defense. It's just been terrific. And the head of the snake, you know, it's Davion off the bench. But it's still the head of the snake and the guy that's been playing great defense despite all the offensive struggles and the dealing with the bug and maybe some soreness or whatever. Darren Fox has been playing terrific defense, totally engaged 24 seven over there. Um, making plays, picking pockets. I mean, he's just been, he's been awesome there. Yeah. He, he's been, he's been great. That's a, you know, that was a, that was a part of his game. And he really needed to step up if he wanted to take that next step uh, to that elite level, that all-star level. And, yeah, like he hasn't really been doing it on offense the last couple of games. He says he has a bug. I know, you know, it's, there's been a bug going around my friends and family. So it doesn't really surprise me that. Have you been, wait, have you been hanging out with the, the Kings in the Kings locker room? Did you get dude, Trey Lyles and Darren Fox sick? Dude, I can't say. They signed me to a G League contract. Uh, Anjali Ranadive signed me. That was her, that was her <laughs> first big, <laughs> that was her first big signing. But yeah. um, fortunately for Tony, he likes her music, so that yeah, worked out. she's great. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he he's been kind of sick the last it seems four games, five games because he has not looked good really. I think I think in the last six games since that three game losing streak began. So uh, yeah, it's just you know at least he's at least he's still engaged on the uh, the defensive end even though he can't bring it like he usually does on the offensive end but it starts with defense right and that defense really picked up last three games and they've won all three because of it even with you know less than usual performances from fox it's it's interesting because in a one way if you really want to take a positive light on this in terms of fox it's interesting because when this team, when you're talking about, okay, this team could score with anybody, and that's how they won games, uh, not necessarily their defense in their 15, first 15 games or so. And it's like Fox was killing it, like scoring-wise, nonstop. And then basically, you know, since the Atlanta game, he's only gotten to 20 points once, and that was against Boston, and he only got 20. Since then, it's been under 20. And yet, it just seems like in that stretch, the defense took a turn, and he continues to kind of... Like Mike Brown said it uh, after the Bulls game, you know, Fox on that end of the floor has been so terrific and he's setting the tone and you can see it. And I'm, I feel like the last couple of games when you're looking at the notes, when you're kind of going over the, the game summaries and stuff, 
there's more Fox defensive highlights than there are offensive highlights. And it was kind of close kind of all season, but his offensive highlights were so killer, especially late in the game. Um, but defensively, just lately, it's just it's maintained the same, if not gone up. And so in a way, it's like he's leading this team. This team kind of is led by him in such an interesting way because, you know, the offense with him. And then it seems like the defense without the offense letting up because it just seems like six, seven, eight guys are always in double figures for this team. But I don't know. Fox defensively has been awesome. Yeah, and it's something you love to see as well. It's he's a leader, and he's leading that that side of the ball. Uh, something you've never really seen him do before. So that's great. But but um, you know, off of Fox, because I think we spoke about the defense enough. <laughs> or maybe not enough, but yeah. maybe more stuff will come up. But that's off the top of my head there. But off of Fox, um, someone who's just seems like since basically maybe November started, just has just been playing excellent game after excellent game is uh, Demontis Sabonis. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know, I think you posted uh, on social media that he's got by far the most games with what 10 points five at least five rebounds and five assists uh 10 points 10 rebounds five ah. assists so yeah. he leads the league right now as of right now this is a monday monday afternoon so he has 12 of those such games followed by Jokic with 11 Giannis and Dantich with seven and then i believe Embiid and josh giddy with six so I mean that's a that's a good little little stat line to lead with. He 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 really does it all. Um, I mean yeah, he just does it all. His scoring is, I mean I would say it's a, his third best skill really. I think it's rebounding. It might even be passing and then rebounding. He's such a good passer. And just the way he facilitates the offense and everything goes through him. And just when he's off the floor, you can just feel everything like oh god, like let's get Sabonis back in here because we need some offense going. Uh, it gets a little stagnant without him. And yeah, he's, I he's feel like all three, just to correct, I feel like not to correct you, but just to make it clear, all three elements of his game uh, that, that you pointed out, the scoring, passing, and rebounding, they're all elite. Because even when they throw it down to him, he's finesse yeah. or strength. It doesn't matter. He's going to get away to the rim yeah. to score, and, get to the line. It's just been incredible. And you know what's also incredible is that he's really good uh, in the post, right? But he's... I, I don't know the last time he's missed a three. I feel like he's hit like his last eight threes in a row or so. And he took a couple against the, uh, who was it? The, the Clippers in the first quarter of that game. Mm-hmm. He nailed both of them. And Zubac was giving it to him. Yeah. And his stroke looks good. And he's been making them. I don't think he missed one in November. I think he went like 0 for 4 or something in October. And then went like 8 for 8 in November. And I know we're in December now. But I think that, I think that trend is, you know, continuing. And if he can hit those shots on you know a high clip like even if he only takes one or two a game i mean that's just that's just something the defenders are gonna have to be aware of and it's just gonna make them that much better it's gonna make some bonus that much better which is crazy to think about because that dude does his, everything well in his last four games he's shooting what is it 71.4 percent from three three yeah <laughs> I don't know. That just cracks me up. No, uh, yeah, he's he's money from. I mean, but that just unlocks everything. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. hey, dude. And yeah, it's it's like top of the three keys. But yeah, no, you're right. I'll, I'll hand it off to you. It, it does. No, no, no. Keep going. It's just no. it, it. It's I, it's it. He's I mean, crazy. it's 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 obvious. But he pointed it out. I think uh, after the win against the Clippers, after he hit those two, um, but it's just like, man, if he's able to do that, it's just like you have to bring the center out, especially if you're playing a guy like Zubac, uh, who's gonna be. I never know if I'm saying some of those. I think it's uh, yeah. I think you're saying it right. Zubox Zub, Zub or is it Zubach? I don't know. I think it's Zubox. Okay. Or Zubox. Well, I, well, I, I probably we probably won't have to say it for the rest of the podcast, so we'll skip the lesson. Yeah. Um, we bring a traditional big out. You know, he's got to hit that. You know, and so he's got a way to undermine whoever's out there. He can compromise whatever the strength of his defender or the defense is in a lot of ways and being the center of the offense, having everything run through him, essentially, you know, leading the team in assists. It's like, shit, man, you don't want to be that opposing defense. That's it's, it's insane. He's just so dynamic and that he hits the mid range pretty good. Like he's been pretty good on that this year. I don't know what his percentage is on mid range shots, but, um, yeah, I'll look that up. He's shooting, I, believe, I think he shot 60% overall in the month of November. So he's probably around that on the season, right? Yeah. But I don't know um, what he is exactly. But yeah, I know yeah, he he's shooting. It. Yeah, he's, he's shooting just about 60%, 59.9% on the season. Yeah. That's um, crazy. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, he's having a year. He, he's an all-star. He's an all-star. Remember- he's a, what? Well, just remember when he was missing point blank shots in like the first I, five, six games. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> he also it was wasn't so really odd. getting calls. And then like he noted that he was started to be nicer. I think at one point he said he's because someone asked him, it's like, Yeah, you've been kind of keeping out of foul trouble and stuff. He's like, Yeah, you know, it's just like you gotta get down to like looking at the tape, doing correcting the mistakes that you're making, and also being nicer to the refs. <laughs> so that was really funny. Hey, I mean, that's fair. I, I mean Domas, as much as I love the dude, he always has this like expression after he doesn't agree with the foul call. He's like covers his mouth. He's like, what? What? You know? And do you, ever, you know what expression I'm talking about? It's kind of like rap, rap, I'd be like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I was an umpire in in little league. Yeah, I was little league, whatever. But it's like, you know, like I'm a human. Like you, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna yell at me. Like you think you're you're getting that call now? Like no. And it wasn't the kids who were yelling at me, but the coaches, right? But, you know, it's like, you know, borderline calls is not going your way now. So, um, you know, I, I bet these guys are a lot better than me and it doesn't affect them as much. But, I mean, for sure, <laughs> these guys are, you know, you're going to be nice to the refs. They're probably going to be a little nicer to you as well. So, I mean, I, that's... Yeah, that also, account, there's, yeah. A, there's an emphasis by the league this year. I think... Um, Mark Jones might have pointed it out on a broadcast. And I know like Halliburton was kind of saying it in reference to his technical that he got against the Kings. Cause he just said that he just raised his voice and that's what they explained to him. They're like, yeah, you're getting the T cause you, you were talking too loudly. And so it's like, they want, and Mark Jones pointed out that they, they want to put an emphasis on respecting the game. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it works especially in your favor, not just to get calls, but also to avoid, technicals i guess but that's just if that's the overall you know intent of the league and 
the officiate uh, if, of the referees to enhance the respect of the game or whatever they're saying, um, then it's really smart for Domas to kind of take that turn. Yeah. Um, but hey, keep that, it on Domas. But yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Uh, I was I was gonna just keep <laughs> talking about refs, but no, let, let's let's get let's get back on track here. Yeah, yeah no, uh, but um, you know, we kind of talk about this off and on. Sometimes it comes up, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, it's interesting to always think about or ask who's the best player on the Kings, and just that simple question because you have something where you know we were kind of alluding to it with Fox earlier that like the team kind of goes as he goes, you know, in a way. And, but at the same time, the very structure of the team would collapse without Sabonis in a way. Um, Who is the best, who just based on the simple question of who's the best player on this team? Like, don't think about it too much. Just that question. Like who's your answer? It's a bonus, and it's because he's the backbone of the team. Like even though Fox hasn't really been playing his best as of late, the Kings are still winning because Sabonis is doing what Sabonis is doing. Right? He's he's facilitating that offense. He's he. I mean, over these last three wins, he's playing at an elite level. Like the that Bulls or the Bulls game triple double, the um, Clippers game like twenty four points on ten of eleven shooting. Um, yeah. And I think he had like 11 rebounds and seven assists. I mean, that dude. Five think, rebounds and six assists. In okay. Yeah, you're right. He didn't have a lot of rebounds that game, surprisingly. But yeah, it's just like that dude's our best player. And, you know, like I could very well change in maybe like two weeks of Fox gets back to scoring 30 points a game. But I don't know. It's just a bonus. He just, like, the team the team needs him, right? I mean, he, he's literally like the structure of that offense. Everything goes through him. And if he's rolling, that team's rolling. And the same can be said with Fox. But really, if Sabonis is rolling, I think it matters a little more than if Fox is rolling because Sabonis affects everyone around him. Where Fox is more of that score first kind of guy uh, who can get buckets at a, you know, at a great level. But um, I, he, he just doesn't make others around him better like Sabonis does. And Fox does. He makes those around him better, but not not the way Sabonis does. And I think, I mean, just, just that alone just shows his importance to the foundation of this team, right? And yeah. I, I would much rather, like, and, you know, like something I would never want to, you know, happen. But if I had to choose to, like, have someone out for 10 games, I'd rather have Fox out for 10 games over Sabonis. So I think the Kings would have a better chance of winning more games with Fox out than Sabonis out. I think he just matters that much more to this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think put another way, it's like, nobody's quite like Fox, just like nobody's quite like Sabonis. But at the end of the day, Sabonis is irreplaceable. Like it's hard to think of a guy. I mean like Jokic maybe, but um, it's hard to think of a guy that, uh, you know, you could replace Sabonis with. And that's no disrespect to Fox. It's just, I think that's just an added element as to why uh, Sabonis is the guy. Um, And at the end of the day, they're both really, 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 really good. And they're both deserving of an all-star bid. 
especially if they continue winning games. Um, but it's just like, I think Sabonis is a lock, you know? I think so, too. And you know what I think is going to be so funny this year is that I believe Sabonis and Halliburton are both going to be all-stars this year because Halliburton's having a really good year in Indiana, leading the league in assists. I don't mean to transition to him, and I'm not going to, but I just think it's... Oh, we could. <laughs> I mean, we, oh, well, maybe we will, but it's just it's just so funny because I think Sabonis is 100% an all-star. I mean, the Kings are, Kings are 13 and 9 through December, and, and I mean, we have a tough little six game road trip coming up, but um, I, I think they can still keep winning. They they look legit. I don't think like I don't think these wins are by accident and like yeah, they're thirteen and nine. We'll see how they are in January. I think this team's gonna they're gonna keep it up. But I don't know if they're gonna be as high as the fifth or fourth seed, whatever they're in right now. Maybe all year long. But I think I mean they're playing like a team that's gonna stay in that those top eight seeds for sure. And. Uh, I mean that that at least gets you know Sabonis as an All Star for sure because you you know Sabonis is going to keep it up all year you know he's going to stay at least consistent or Fox you know he gets this bug or maybe he has some bad shooting nights he's not going to keep it up you know scoring thirty points a game like he was in that one stretch where he won Player of the Week right he had a crazy week but Sabonis is going to be a little more consistent um, I think he's I think if you had to choose between Fox and Sabonis Sabonis is your All Star. And like I said, like I think Halliburton is going to be an All Star too. So it's just kind of funny, like what a what a trade, really. Yeah, well, both Halliburton and Sabonis would represent why their teams are succeeding. Yeah, exactly. Which expresses what everybody, not everybody, unfortunately, but what a lot of people have been saying, which is it was mutually beneficial to both teams, in basic to basically the same degree. Um, you know, the Kings are like. You saw the play. The Kings, the Kings are a better team than the Pacers. But in the long run, you know, Halliburton really pay off. So it's just like at the end of the day, it's just like but that doesn't that that doesn't produce um the storylines or the headlines, I guess, if they, they both benefit. There's gotta be a winner and a loser, I guess. Um But you know, I, we spent we we talked about Halliburton and Buddy Heald. I think for like two straight weeks. And it's interesting because, you know, the game was last week, I know, but there's just some interesting comments to point to, I think. Um, and I want to start this off by making maybe a, not a controversial statement, but one that would be disagreed with, I think. And I, I totally understand why. Um, but from my perspective, uh, I kind of respect Buddy Heald a little bit more. <laughs> Why? Um, kind of, to put it concisely, I think Buddy Heald is who he is. Halliburton is a young guy. And I think he kind of avoids being honest with himself. At least right now. I think that'll change. You know, he's still really a young guy. He's a young man. Um, but... You know, I think one of the things that uh, Halliburton was talking about was like kind of the common theme, both pregame and postgame uh, in Sacramento, was that like he kind of pointed to the fact he's just like, well, yeah, it's like the media who takes what I say out of context and stuff like that. And he made specific mention postgame 
that it was the um, like losing culture comments that is giving him a bunch of heat and, you know, that he's not setting the narrative <laughs> around him that, that everybody else around him is. Um, and I just, I, I, this isn't a big deal. This is not a condemnation of his character or who he is or the kind of player he is or whatever he is off the floor. He sounds like a terrific guy. Um, and he's a great player and Kings fans have every reason to cheer for him. Um, I have nothing but respect for him, but in this regard, it's just like, man, something about being a little dishonest. Cause I feel like the thing that really kind of pointed, said a lot about Halliburton, I feel stupid saying this cause you know, I consider myself an adult and, uh, <laughs> talking, talking about it in an Instagram post, uh, is being kind of a, <laughs> a central <laughs> aspect of this, I guess, kerfuffle. I, I don't know, uh, is kind of odd, uh, admittedly, but that whole Instagram post kind of seemed to be the reason. I feel like he was avoiding that the whole time. He never said anything about that. And <laughs> it's also interesting that he says that the media is uh, forming these narratives. And quite honestly, I would point to the main culprit as being J.J. Redick, your friend Jeez. and yeah. person that you keep going on the podcast to. Mm-hmm. And again, this is this is no condemnation of Halliburton, but there's just a bit of no accountability doesn't really, he's not, not really honest with himself. And I think he's slowly gaining recognition. I think he's come a long way. He even pointed it out post game on last Wednesday that his perspectives kind of changed. He saw himself as being maybe a little immature when that trade first happened. You know, he was big enough to say that and all props to him on that, but there's still a ways to go. It appears. Whereas buddy healed, he gets asked before the game. Um, (laughs) Well, what's going to happen if they boo you? And he's just like, he kind of scoffed. He's like, oh, fans are entitled to their opinion. I'm, I still make millions of dollars playing a game, so I'm not worried. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, wow, what a dick. But, you know, I don't know. It's he is who he is. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, that's just a small point. And I, I don't want to linger on it too long, but I just thought it was interesting and noteworthy. I mean, that game was such a big deal. It was such a, it was an awesome game for the Kings from their perspective. And, you know, there was that whole narrative, whether we like it or not. And quite frankly, it's kind of silly. And I feel silly talking about it. But I have to point that out. It's just kind of interesting. Um, mm, fair point. But, yeah. Do you, but, do you uh, think Halliburton suffers a little from main character syndrome? I have no idea. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> But um, yeah, probably. I mean, that kind of seems like uh, for our generation down, everybody it seems like they kind of have a little bit of a uh, kind of stuck in the mirror vibe, you know? Yeah, it kind of gives that off, right? But uh, yeah, and I think that's being young. Everybody kind of like, I know maybe not everybody because I know a lot of immature people that are older than me. But um, you know, I know a lot of people that are around my age or older than me too. And I would like to say for even myself, like kind of grow up you, you move on from that a little bit and how old is Halliburton he's like really young um I don't know off the top of my head but yeah I think he's 22 I think he's 22 22 three I because mean, I think we got him when he was 21 so he's probably 23 now super young it's like yes man so it's just like again it's no condemnation of him it's just interesting and it's like like I said, he's just got a ways to go. 
<laughs> and compared to Buddy, it just seems like you can tell who the more real one is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. I guess Buddy's a little older, but I, I totally get where you're coming from. But he's kind of like, whatever, you know. He doesn't. He doesn't hold it. He doesn't feel like he was personally attacked by being traded. And you know, Buddy was probably happy. <laughs> on top of everything yeah he didn't want to be in sacramento no so i mean i i totally i totally hear where you're coming from um i don't know i i i, I try not to think about those guys too much anymore i was kind of surprised how much buddy got booed yeah the game because i i said in the in the podcast last week i'm like yeah like i think he'll get booed maybe a little like when he's announced, but not during the game. But he, he was kind of getting that Bagley treatment a little. I was, I mean, just I, about. I, I can see why. I can see why for sure. But I was definitely still surprised that he definitely got it that much. But whatever. Like you said, fans aren't fans are entitled to what they want to do. He still makes millions of dollars playing the game. <laughs> Didn't bother like- him. I heard that. It is I laughed. That was so funny. Uh, I know. What more do you need to hear from him? Right. It was, it was funny. It was also nice that he got off to a nice start to the game and then just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I mean, they all disappeared. That was. Yeah. They, that was a smack. That's down. a good point. Yeah. It was. It was it felt the nice. only guy. The only guy that was doing well was Jalen Smith, and he got knocked in the face. Yeah. Oh, by Monk, right? Yeah. Monk yeah. knocked him out. Yeah. Jalen Smith was on fire. He had like 16 third quarter points until he got he got that elbow from Monk. Or yeah, yeah. it was Monk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. That was crazy. It felt bad for him. It looked like it hurt. It looks like he bit his tongue or something. Yeah, they called it like a mouth. I wonder what happened, but I don't want to get off track there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Malik Monk, dude. Taking well, names. yeah. Well, Malik Monk, I mean, six man player, six, not six man player of the year. Six, six man of the year. It should be called a six man player of the year. Six man player. Is it not? Is it not sometimes called that? Six man player of the year award? Six in EOTY? Player of the year. I don't know. I feel like sometimes it is. I think it is called that. Are you screwing around? (laughs) Dude, no, I think you're right. I think it's called the Six Man Player of the Year Award. All right. Six Six Man Player of the Year Award. Let's look it up real quick. Six. Yeah, just let's figure it out. Player. I may maybe no, I don't think we're right. I don't think I'm right. See, I don't know. Six man player of the year NBA. No, it's called the NBA Six Man of the Year. Six Man of the Year. Yeah, there's no player. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> He's a six man player of the year. Six man player of the year. Uh no, it's but just, I mean he is gonna he, he's given like a really good case to be the six man player of the year, right? He's gonna report refer to keep it. saying keep saying six man player of the year, and I'm imagining like six midgets and like a trench coat. <laughs> He's the player of the year. Just six men playing. Yeah, it's s- small people. I don't wanna I don't know what you're supposed to say, but um, I apologize. Uh, getting back on track, Malik Monk, um, and I think we pointed this out after the Clippers game. The reason that the Kings, one of the reasons, aside from good defense, which we covered quite, extens- quite extensively, um, I think, uh, one of the reasons that the Kings really kept the foot on you know the gas pedal, I guess to use that one for the hundredth time uh, against the Clippers was you know among 
other things like the Clippers missing their some of the <laughs> like three best scorers or whatever. Um, you know, it was the fact that, and it was really highlighted. It's kind of been this way. And credit to Katie Christensen for like just pointing it out, which it just kind of verbalized it. Um, that man, Monk. One of the one of the good ways to look at his impact is that, especially when we're talking about Sabonis being so important to this team, is that when he goes off the floor, it's not his replacement at that position, but Malik Monk that really kind of picks up the slack, so to speak. You know, he in a similar way we were talking about. Well, if Sabonis hits a three, it unlocks his game even more. And his game's already so unlocked, especially with the guys around him, with the things he's able to do. And we're seeing that with Monk when he drives to the rim. He was saying, I think after the Bulls game, he's like, yeah, you know, I, the facilitating is great because it just, I do it so much that now I just get free looks at the rim because guys are just expecting me to pass it. And so it's made his offense at the rim easier, which was really interesting. And in terms of having a dynamic impact, in terms of both ends of the floor, energy-wise, and kind of leadership, and kind of keeping everybody together, and that's kind of his locker room role. He he when when they lost three straight, he said, you know, he's gonna he's gonna make sure nobody separates. You know, not that anybody was at risk of separating, but we know how this team has been in the past. Even though it feels like completely different teams, it feels so long ago, just twenty something games into this season. But Malik Monk, in in that way, it's just like. Not only is he six man player of the year, I think <laughs> making a good case for that. But I, um, and we talked about this at the beginning of the season. We've alluded to it. I don't know. I kind of think Malik Monk might be the third best player on this team. He's a hundred percent playing like it right now. I mean, he he is the third best player on the team in this. You know, last. I, I mean, I don't know. I felt like month really hurt her. Hurt her slowed down a little. So that kind of has impacted his value, of course. He's not hitting, it doesn't seem like he's hitting the three as well as he was to start off the year. But he, I mean, he's still playing well. But Monk, that spark off that bench, he does it all. He's he's such a, he's just such a good scorer. And he's, he plays such an important role as that six-man player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and just, and just his, his facilitating and passing, which is just such a nice added bonus that, I don't think anyone really expected him to do. He's playing good defense. He's, you know, he, he is stepping up into that leadership role as well. He, he's kept us in many games throughout the year so far, and he's scoring. You know, he's definitely picked up Fox's scoring load since Fox is kind of, you know, uh, taking a backseat with the bug. But he's, uh, yeah, he's he, right now he's the third best player on this team for sure. And I mean, even within the last six games, you can argue he's been the second best player over the past six games. But on the year, it's definitely Fox number two. But he's playing better than Fox right now. I, I think so. He's he's a, so efficient, really, with the ball. He's- yeah, just considering his impact on both ends. I mean, Fox has been great defensively, and so much credit goes to him there. But it's just like sometimes offensively, it's not necessarily that he's been terrible. But it's like, I don't know, you almost kind of feel like, like Fox hasn't needed to take over or anything like that, and nor has he, you know. But Monk does that, so I see what you mean. Yeah, it's uh, he's yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have much more to say on Monk. He's he's been awesome, really. I, yeah. I, I don't know who's 
who's up for the award and I think hero and uh I think Benedict I don't know how do you say his last name Matherin is that Matherin yeah I'm a, I was calling him Matherin all throughout the draft process and I'd heard that before but yeah it's yeah it's I don't know but yeah Matherin he's having He's having a really good year as a rookie off the bench, but he's really good because we got to see him last yeah, week. He killed us. He just he had a good he's, game. He's gets to the line. He's he's tough. He's very confident. It's yeah. Just, he he almost doesn't look like a rookie. No, like he in, doesn't look like a rookie at all. That dude was <laughs> that dude was not afraid attacking that rim. Yeah, but, he just became a baller day one. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Wow. I know. Well, I mean, I. If we're done with Monk, are you have anything? Well, just to just to point it out, in Monk's last nine games, just to make the case here, yeah, and hopefully this can be carried forward. In his last nine games, because this is like kind of realistic. I mean, like I don't know if the points will be able to get up there, but it's just like, yeah, he's been averaging eighteen point six points off the bench in the last nine games. You know, with his four point one assists, his over one steal a game, and you know, obviously the energy impact that we were talking about it's just i don't know and, and then it's a testament too to why the kings are one of the top scoring benches in the league and he leads the charge and it just seems like everybody on the bench has been really really good especially yeah, lately the kings is the king's bench in general has been fantastic and he's obviously the the lead off that bench but mitchell's been playing well as of late Metsu's been stepping it up, grabbing boards, scoring points. Uh, and then, you know, your mixture. Uh, Lyles hasn't really been playing. He had, he was sick as well. And it seems like he's coming off the bench for KZ. Um, and, you know, Terrence Davis, he's a, he's a microwave when he's in the game. Sometimes he'll just go off. So that bench has been huge for the Kings this year. And something just like defense they lacked over this last 16 years. They never had any depth. They never had a bench. So it's nice that you can rely on guys coming off the bench. And, you know, they're not the starters, but they definitely keep you in the ball game well enough. So that's something that's been really nice to see this year. It's it's interesting because kind of thinking about the bench here, um, now Mike Brown, it's become a little tougher because Mike Brown – has talked about how he historically has liked smaller rotations. And now it's like, well, okay, you got Monk and Mitchell and Metu. Those guys are locks to play. And then you basically have Lyles, Davis, and Akpala. Like two of those three guys can also play. Um, and Akpala has now made it very difficult. Credit to him. Since the game in Boston, when he started to get a little bit of play time there, um, you know, it. he just seems like an NBA player, which was one of the critiques of him when he was getting those starter minutes and minutes in the rotation. It just felt like he didn't have an idea of where to be. His idea of spacing was off. It just kind of seemed like, it's like this guy's been in the league for three years already. Like, what? Mm -hmm. um, it just seemed like, like, what the heck? But with time, uh, practice time and, whatnot he's he he's put it together and he stayed ready which that is a testament also to the bench i mean like monk and mitchell have kind of always had their roles but you know lyle's you know akpala had the minutes over lyle's at the beginning of the season lyle's had to stay ready metu 
was not in the rotation at all to start the season. He had to stay ready. And now it's the same thing with Akpala, kind of like contrasted here, or I mean kind of uh, off of Lyles in reverse fashion. But now it's just kind of become more difficult in the best way possible for Brown to distribute minutes. And he has far more leeway to go with matchups, hot hands, whatever the deal is. And so you want a more defensive-minded, you need a guy maybe to go up and disrupt somebody like he did uh, against DeMar, DeMar, DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> uh, Paul is the guy. Maybe you need a little bit of you know rebounding depth and you want a little bit of three-point shooting or something. You got Trey Lyles. You know, if you need a spark, kind of a almost a Monk Jr. is Terrence Davis. Because Terrence Davis does a lot of the same things Monk will do. He's aggressive. He'll get to the rim. He doesn't maybe distribute as well as Monk, but you'll see him flip alley-oops to Metu just like Monk does. Yeah. And also, he's made a lot of difference on the defensive end. He looks really great. I mean, like, there's had to be some moments. I know, like, in the first game of the season, he got called out for making a mistake. Or maybe it was in the preseason. And then, obviously, that moment we alluded to earlier against Phoenix. But he always bounces back and makes he makes the adjustments. And he's coming out and he's playing good defense and he's always playing hard. Contract year. But um, <laughs> he's also just he's also an undrafted player and he, he's probably always going to have that mentality. Yeah, um, very true. I don't know. This bench has just been terrific. And I think it's like it just seems like it's one guy after the other, you know? It's like Monk. We find out Monk's really good. And it's like Lyle steps up. And Davion Mitchell kind of really like embraces his role and figures it out. You know, and then Terrence Davis goes off for God knows how many against the Nets and, and other similar bursts of scoring. And now you got, you know, and Metu steps up to be the backup five. And now you have Akpala making it difficult. And shoot, man, that's, that's exactly what you want to see. And we were talking about it at the beginning of the season. It's like this team's got depth and they're finally showing it. I think with the Rashawn Holmes thing and everything, it just seemed like, <laughs> uh oh, what happened there? That seemed like a strength of this team. And then it didn't. And now it's come back with even more force. I know. It's so weird that Rashawn Holmes is on the bench. Like, I just like, I just imagine if that dude was actually playing. How imagine if he played like, to play. like, like Metu. Metu. Imagine if he played like Metu. Yeah. He'd be a, he'd be a stronger Metu. Yeah. That, that bench would be so good. I'm so upset with Holmes. It's and so Holmes upsetting. is arguably Holmes right now. I mean, Holmes is shooting like 50% from three this year. <laughs> 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 like two the floor. Where's Alex Lane? He, he was shooting the ball really well in what Euro Euro basket? What was it called? Was that what it was? Yeah, called? yeah, yeah. Euro basket. He shot like thirty eight percent or something. Yeah, it was money. It was but I get it. You can't, Len. It's I, I keep thinking about Len. I'm just like I think they're just gonna let him play out his contract, and I just don't see how he gets on the floor unless like we talk about like it's very specific matchups. Like you need him to battle with somebody for a second. Yeah, yeah, like Nurkic or another big white guy, really. Nurkic yeah. and Jokic really come to mind, or Valanciunas, right? Yeah. And it's like, I keep kind of pushing off the idea of like bringing up Keita. And it's, but it's like, man, if like you have an injury or two in the, at the center position where guys are sidelined for a bit and like Len needs to step into rotational minutes, I would be in favor of bringing up Keita and giving him rotational minutes over Len, honestly. Yeah. I would I maybe, maybe start with Len, but have Keita there. That's um, fair. Because I just feel like Len is just so big, and he's he's trimmed down a little bit this year, but he's just far too slow for modern NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's what's keeping him off the floor is that speed. <laughs> it's just it's I I like Len too. You know, he's like that forcer kind of guy, but 
Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, he, he in garbage time, I think, against the Pacers, he had like three offensive rebounds. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's, just, he's he's a giant. Yeah, that's it. He's a giant. Yeah, can't, can't it'd be name. interesting. It'd be interesting when they played Denver for the first time. They got that kind of like two game series against Denver at the end of the month. So really it'd be interesting back to back games. Yeah, in Sacramento, it'll be fun. Oh, well, that's good. Um, at least they're in Sac. Yeah. Um, but not to just the, as a whole, though. Looking at what there's like six guys: uh, Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Terrence Davis, uh, Akpala, Lyles, and Metu. You have six viable guys off the bench. That's yeah, crazy. I know, and some of those guys, I'm like, uh, like Metu and Akpala. It's like I didn't think those guys were really going to do much. Even Davis, I was kind of questionable about. I like Davis, but I'm like, let's see if he can do it off the bench in inconsistent minutes. And he has, and that's just been such a big plus as well. If you, you know, the, the, that, that bench is supposed to be uh, Mitchell, Monk, and Holmes. Like, those are supposed to be the leaders, right? And maybe a little bit of Trey Lyles. And Lyles yeah. has played well this year, for sure. And I hope, you know, I know Akpal has kind of taken his minutes deservingly the last couple of games, but I, I want to see Lyles see the floor a little more. Um um, you know we're we're big Trey Lyles fans, and I think he just does everything <laughs> right. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely been nice to see everyone step up, and but yeah, th- I mean the bench is one of our biggest assets for this yeah. for this unit, so or this team. But yeah, two final been, notes, two final yeah. notes on the bench, just because I feel like we did kind of. We were almost making the argument that Chemezi Metu had no place on this team. Like both before the season started, during the preseason, and at the very beginning of the season, the first couple of games. We were essentially under the impression that, hey, what is this guy doing here? Uh, everybody else kind of made sense. And boy, it's just like, I feel very bad about that. He's, he's, he hasn't been perfect, but in terms of like finding a way to make an impact, getting in there, making that impact, and doing it pretty consistently. It works. And his energy just absolutely fits. It's just it's perfect for the bench unit. And like Mike Brown said, Chemezi Metu being a completely different player than DeMarcus Cousins can be a good thing because it now defenses have to prepare for two different centers. Two different two completely different styles of play. And you can see it out there when, when Metu's out there. There's always these energy dunks. There's like two or three a game. Yeah, alley oop after alley oop. I feel like every yeah. game he's at least throwing one down from, like you said, Monk or Davis. And that's, yeah. what, I mean, that's what I said. There's one thing I'll give myself credit to I, I do owe Shimezu Metsu an apology because I was one of his biggest haters. But I did give him credit that that dude has some energy with his dunking. And yeah. It, it's, it's always fun to watch. And you always know when it's going to happen. It's always on a fast break and Monk has it. It's like, all right, let's see it. And talking about a good dunker, just because I'm on the topic, how about Malik Monk? That dude is just... Oh, my God. Yeah, he double clutched against the Bulls. Yeah. Oh, man, he's fun. He's such a fun player. I'm so glad we got him. Yeah, <laughs> like it's one of our better signings in a long time. What a... Yeah. Thank, thank they need, they need to have like a... They need to have like a... I don't know. No... I don't know. Uh, Monk is probably you're gonna see a lot more zeros out there that are not Halliburton. You're gonna start to see monks fill it up. Yeah, that's, I didn't even so. think about that. Very true. He's he's definitely becoming a fan favorite. Quick, a great spark off the bench. That dude does so much for the team, and 
Like we said, I think he's I think he's the third best player right now on this team. Yeah. That's off to him. Yeah, it's it's uh, very you know, to his to his credit there. But um kind of moving on like moving away from the bench, but in a similar light. There's a six game road trip up ahead. And one of the points I want, the last point I wanted to make about the bench, uh, especially probably I would expect Lyles and Davis in particular. You're going on a six game road trip in ten what, ten or nine or ten days. Mm-hmm. Um and you got six guys off the bench that play very well. You have an opportunity to be able to kind of like alternate here, use some fresh legs to your advantage off the bench. And so you maybe you don't see Lyles or Davis play in the first two games or three games, but once that back to back starts lingering in everybody's mind, you know, you might see, you know, kind of a switch there. And that might be able to this kind of like, I guess, highlights the depth. Uh, that might work to, to their advantage because they've got a tough trip here that if you had to just look at it and be really honest, a lot of people are like, Ooh, they probably go two and four on this trip. Um, just because they play some really good teams. And you also got Detroit and the Knicks in there. Um, so, uh, but I don't know. Interesting point about the bench, some fresh legs, but also it's just looking ahead at this trip. What are you thinking about it? You think two and four is... Two down in the dumps. You think they can go three and three or pull out a winning record here? Uh, I think they can go three and three. Like you said, they, they should be able to win those Knicks and Pistons games, uh, just the way they've been playing as of late. And I don't know the Bucks game; it's going to be rough, and so is that Sixers game. But I mean, they already beat the Cavs once this year. Yeah, I was at home, but uh, I can see them pulling out. I can see them pulling out one between the Bucks, Cavs, and Sixers. Just the way they this isn't the same Kings anymore. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm not thinking about the Kings like, oh, yeah, you, you know, like trying to be optimistic. Like, optimistic last year on this stretch was two and four. And to be clear, the schedule is the Bucks on Wednesday, Cavs on Friday, Knicks on Sunday, Sixers Tuesday, Raptors Wednesday. I miss the Raptors. And then Pistons Friday. So, and, you know, I, I think they can beat the Raptors as well. Um, I mean, they're a good team, so I think you can go, I think you can pull off three and three. I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you think? I think you definitely can. I think just to start with that game against the Bucks, um, it's interesting because the last game of the last road trip, last real road trip was against the Celtics and the Celtics showed the Kings what a contender looks like when they put it all together for four quarters and really just put the knife to your neck there at the end. Um, it'd be interesting to see what they do on the first game of this road trip against another championship, you know, level team, the Eastern conference champion and world champion of a couple of years ago. Um, so it, 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 that'll be interesting. And I think that the Kings will be able to perform pretty well in that game. I think, you know, it's the first game of the road trip, two days off. Obviously they have to travel, but there's two days off. Um, they should be kind of, I mean, they'll be in the, they'll have the fullest tank that they will on this nine day trip. So that could be fun, but I mean, can they, can they make it a game? Can they win it? Can they not repeat what happened in Boston? I think that'll be a really interesting thing. Cause if they win that game, then it's just like, Oh man, you're off to a great start on that road trip. And it's like three and three is now like, 
baseline. Yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. You push four and two at that point. Yeah. And then it's like if they play the Bucks and lose, but they play pretty well. And like two and four might sound like decent. You might start like walking away and being like, well, at least, you know, you won a couple. <laughs> I don't know. The expectations could really like for the whole road trip could kind of be contingent on this first game in a way. So it'll be interesting. Um, I see it. And then you Tough got way to start off, right? Yeah. And then you got Cleveland who you beat on your home floor. They're going to bring it. Um, mm-hmm. They're still really, really good. Um, and you got the Knicks um, off a of one day arrest, <laughs> a nice matinee for us on the West coast. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens there. That'll be a kind of an opportunity to win, but those are always the toughest ones. Um, then you got your back to back Philadelphia and Toronto. That seems like that sucks. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a rough back to back. That's not fun. Um, and then you got Detroit, and again, it's like that's another. Obviously, they're not as good as not nearly as good as uh, the um, Cavaliers, but the Pistons got beat on your home floor, and they played. They, you know, they made it a game, and. That was, interestingly enough, like right before the Kings went on their road trip. This will be the last game of the road trip. The Kings will be kind of itching to get home. It might have that same kind of potentiality for something kind of bad to happen. But this this is, this has been uh, highlighted as probably one of the two tough because they have another one at the end of January into February that's tough too. But this is right there, man. This is this is difficult, especially when you start off with the Bucks and the Cavaliers. Yeah. yeah this is a tough tough east coast road trip a lot of good teams you're playing four playoff teams at the moment and then the knicks and the uh pistons so and then a couple of those you know the raptors and uh um who was it the back-to-back with the raptors and the 70s 70s yeah 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 so you go from philly to toronto I, I I have I have hope in three and three. I hope Fox can really get back on track because they're gonna need him to start scoring like twenty five plus like he was doing before he got sick. Um, that's gonna be key for sure. Sabonis he's Sabonis gonna have some good matchups. He's gonna go against Embiid. He's gonna go against um. Why am I blanking? Third, um, you got um. Hey, well, okay, maybe maybe that was it. I mean, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> I, I, I think Siakam was playing the center this year, right? Maybe I have no idea what they're. I have no idea what they're doing in Toronto. But yeah, I, I really they, don't either. They, they they figure it out. They do pretty well. Yeah, and then you know, I mean, maybe we'll see some Kaziak Paula tomorrow against Giannis. That seems like a KZ game over a Trey Lyles game, right? Yeah. Um, so that'll that'll be interesting to see how they can try to handle. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of the toughest amazing. guards in history <laughs> in terms of yeah. the guy. It's like, uh, but yeah. we're talking about this team playing cohesively as a unit. Maybe that's the best approach. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be that's going to be the definitely the, the hardest game just because the Bucks are that's the best one more team f- on that on that trip. And to your point earlier, that's really one like you're saying with all of the games on this road trip, but particularly that first one against such a good player and team, you know, a Fox becomes a huge X factor. 
Mm. He because he can, needs to pick it up. He needs to. Yeah, you're on another floor. You can kind of get away with it. He scores 16 or 18 on the home floor, and the fans are going nuts, and everybody's just got a bunch of energy. Right. Need, like, nobody's kind of in your corner there, and everything's riding against you. You know, Fox. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of imperative that he kind of shows up, um, and I think that's kind of the setting. Hopefully, too, if he's feeling better, um, which he seemed to have a little bit better energy interestingly enough in the second game of the back-to-back in both games of the back-to-back but um yeah i don't know it'll be interesting to see he's definitely a a guy to watch as Mm -hmm. always yes he's he's i mean as we're gassing up uh sabonis earlier in this podcast saying he's the best player but it doesn't mean Fox is any less valuable. Like they both need to be on on this road trip if they want to win some of these games. And I, I think they can do three and three, but these guys have to be playing, you know, their their best basketball. It all starts with both of them. It starts with yeah. both. So it's just hard to get away. Kind of it's games. hard to get away from that fact that it's just like a it's a two man foundation. Yeah, exactly. They, everything comes off of those two. So we'll see. We'll see. Tough road trip, but I'm gonna say three and three. I guess we'll we'll talk in two weeks and yeah. Well, let's start with the first is. three. Yeah, first the three. Last last week we came off of three straight losses. This week we're coming off of three straight wins. What are we gonna be coming off of next week? So we have the. It's gonna be Bucks, Cavs, uh, Knicks, Knicks. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I'm just going to say one and two. That's fair. And then um, you- I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say they win that game in Milwaukee, lose in Cleveland and beat the Knicks. I'm going to go real optimistic because I feel like this defense is rolling, especially if they can beat Milwaukee to start. I mean, then that just, you know, that really sets the tone for the whole road trip. And even just this first three games of it. Hmm. But Cleveland's going to be tough. I just don't know if they can win that game. I just feel like Cleveland's going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah, I feel that too. Cleveland, <laughs> they're not going to want to lose those twice, especially on their home court. So, Although that'll be Mike Brown's first game as a head coach there in some time. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. I didn't even think about that. It's going to be fun. interesting. Yeah, no, I had a star next to it from like the beginning of the season when I was like highlighting games. What are going to be big games? And I highlighted that one. So Mike Brown's return. I couldn't yeah. figure it out though. I'm like, why has this got a start? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it either. Yeah, I guess Mike Brown is returning, so that'll yeah. be fun. That'll mean a lot to him, and hope the crowd gives him a nice applause. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough game for sure. Tough. It's a, I mean, just a tough stretch. I'm gonna say it again. That's like we said, it's one of our hardest stretches of the year. So three and three, yeah. calling it here. One and two. And then they're somehow gonna beat they're gonna beat the Pistons, and then I think they'll I think they can take the Sixers. But we'll get to that we'll get to that next week. But yeah. I would love for it to be two and one, like you said. But we'll we'll see. see. That's up to yeah. them. That's uh, up to them. That all they can all they can do is listen to us and execute. <laughs> but yeah. they listen to I this guess. on their plane ride over. Yeah, it's a long one, dude. I don't know how long the flight is to Milwaukee. Yeah, probably an hour, hour 15, just like this podcast. That's right. Yeah. that's They could probably squeeze in a few if they're falling behind. Yeah, exactly. 
But, but what were um, you gonna say? Yeah. Well, kind of transitioning on to probably our last topic here. Um, I feel like you know it was Barnes at the beginning of the season in terms of somebody you just kind of keep an update on. But almost it seems fitting, and I didn't don't, don't know why I didn't realize this at the beginning of the season. But kind of a, a rookie update is kind of a a good thing, especially considering the fact that you know over the last month. Uh, Keegan Murray's three is not fallen. And I think as we pointed out last week, that three really unlocks a lot of things for his game. But the two aspects that it does not necessarily unlock uh, are the two aspects that he's really, I mean, one, he's continually done. And two, uh, he's really started to show, particularly in these last couple of you know games over this last week and a half or so, two weeks. Um, one is the rebounding and then two is his defense. And at the same time in these last couple of games, um, his confidence seems a little bit kind of, it wasn't ever down, but it just seems like a little bit revamped and he's executing a little bit better. But again, it's just like his work on the glass, his effort. I mean, everybody's work on the glass on that team is really good. And everybody on that defense is playing really, really well, but I was talking about to kind of talk about his defense here. You know, I was mentioning that like the weak side defense has been really good for this team, as Mike Brown has commended multiple times over the last week or two. And one of the guys that's really good at that is Kevin Herter. You know, he'll come away with a steal or have some good help. Um, but another guy over the last couple of games um, that's been doing the same thing is Keegan Murray and. I don't know. He just looks great. And you saw him even outside of that context. <laughs> um, his transition defense. He had that transition block. It was mm-hmm. yeah, against the Bulls. And he just, and he, I think he comes up with a lot of blocks on that end. And, and I think he leads the team in blocks, not with a ton, but he's, he's a really savvy and good player. And despite the fact that his three's not falling, He's continually found ways to impact the game, and it seems like those have kind of improved and started to blossom a little bit more. And um, I don't know. He got some garbage time against the Clippers and was able to put in a couple of threes, and he ended up with 23 points. And, um, you know, he had a he had another decent game against the – another solid game, I would say, against the Bulls. Um, I would say a good game, actually, I guess. Because he talked about his impact on both of the ends of the floor. So it seems like I wouldn't say he's really slumping so much right now. Maybe it's a three-point shot. But I feel like even that is kind of – he's coming out of it. And I don't know, Keegan Murray's looked pretty good. It's like over the last three, what do you what do you think? Yeah, he's definitely looked a lot better over the last three. I mean, he set his career high against the Clippers. And it, was, it was a lot in garbage time, but – I mean, like we look at Keegan, it's like, yeah, he's a stretch three or a stretch four, right? Like a lot of his, you know, we put a lot on him to hit that three. But like you said, he, he's a lot more than that. His rebounding has, has been looking good, and his defense is—it's been pretty solid all year. Um, so it's we can't overlook those things, right? And I'm trying not to. I think he's a good cutter. I think he mishandles a lot of passes and makes some—I don't know. He's a good cutter, but his finishing with. After the cut can be questionable early on, but I think that's just him being a rookie. Um, and I don't know. I, I question his confidence, uh, especially with some of those drop passes on the cuts and maybe some of the misses near the rim. 
but he had a nice uh he had a nice post game um I don't know, I think he talked with Kyle and Kenny or whoever was doing it. And he was just like, after he scored his career high uh, against the Clippers, he's just like, yeah, it's like, I know the type of player I am. And like, I'm a good player and this team has my back. So it doesn't seem like his confidence is gone. He knows who he is. Maybe that, that shot just isn't falling right now. And I know that's kind of like the key issue of what everyone's looking at. And it is, it does hurt the team lower, right? I mean, imagine if Keegan was playing like he was to start off the season and how he was in preseason in summer league. Like this team might have a couple more wins, um, you know, and that's, that's saying something too, because they, they won a lot of games in November. Right. And that's when he struggled, but I don't know. Like, I think he's fine. He's a rookie. It's nice that he, a couple threes have been falling for him over the last couple of games. And hopefully that can pick back up because once that three starts falling again, and here he does everything else pretty decently for a rookie. Um, I, I, and I hope his cutting, his catching ability after cuts gets a little better. I just see him, you know, mishandle some balls. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to see him start playing a little better because, you know, he needed to. He 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 had a really rough November. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like there's not a better lesson. I think in retrospect, we'll just look at it. People say there's not a better lesson than coming into the league and lighting it up from three to where you have opposing broadcasters. I know Bob Fitzgerald of the Warriors was saying, it's like, you know, the scouting report, they got, you know, don't leave Murray alone. And it's like, you don't put that on everybody. You don't necessarily put that on rookies ever. And that was the scouting report coming out of summer league. And especially through the first couple of games, then that drops off. And all of a sudden the thing that really unlocked your whole game is gone for a second, not forever. And you've got to find another way to make a similar impact and it's been a journey (laughs) but quite frankly when you think about it just a couple of weeks um he's made a lot of progress and of course he also had his off the floor issues which could have just kind of spun things out for a second there but to kind of have the composure um which he's always had to kind of come back and get up here i guess it's just in the big picture that's that's good and it's kind of what we all expected but also you know, in terms of like, uh, what was the last point you said? I had another point here. What was the last thing you were saying? <laughs> I thought, dang it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember him not being able to hit the three, but. Oh, like, I was going to say, no, no, no. I was going to say, because okay. you were pointing out that he was like mishandling balls and sometimes mm. he, he does lose the ball. And like, I know, again, maybe if anybody's listening that watched him at Iowa a little bit more. Uh, I know that like ball handling was kind of his biggest knock, I guess, coming out of college. And I don't know if Butterfingers kind of thing ever was a problem or if that's just like slight mental lapses that will get mended. I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm asking for a little more insight there, but you're making a good point there. I mean, he, he does. He's not a, He's not, he doesn't have, he's not going to be on the hands team if he's in, on a football team, you know, he's not going to be returning onside kicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and just to bring up a point kind of related to Murray is that I saw, so I, I run a Facebook group. I help moderate one called Kingsland on Facebook. And there's, you know, a lot of Iowa fans that came over into the group once we drafted Murray. And I saw someone comment like about Murray's struggles and he's like, yeah, like, this dude in college, because I didn't, I didn't watch him in college, and so I, I'm not really familiar. 
Um, but he's just like this person said, like, yeah, like Murray in college, like he, his three point shot didn't really come around till later. Like he was like a post up guy, like that, and that was his that was his go to in college. Like he was playing down low, and so like he's like, yeah, he, he was saying that we use Murray too much in like off the perimeter, but it's like you know you kind of you kind of have to. That's why we drafted him, but you know it sounds like he's still trying to learn that. Um, so maybe that's why he struggles. It's kind of hard to believe because it's like he was shooting so well in summer league and in the preseason and early on this year, but. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it sounds like the three ball is still a little new to him, especially the rate he shoots it in the NBA or is expected to. So I think that was something to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's, we were talking about Chris Murray last week and it's, we were noting that they're the reverse because Keegan Murray developed inside out, basically. Whereas Chris Murray, the better shooter of the two, is developing outside in, essentially. So. You know, that's why, like, people. I think some people were joking when, like, Keegan Murray was hitting all these threes. Like, is that Chris? Because <laughs> that's funny. He's, na- he's nailing them, and it makes so much sense. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but yeah. um, <laughs> no, no, it makes a lot. It makes a ton of sense because you watch. They'll comment on that if you watch Iowa games now. It seems like, um, where they'll kind of mention that because they try not to bring up. Chris's brother so much because Chris is deserving of so much respect himself. Um, the only reason that team got into the top 25 there for a second was because of Chris Murray. And, you know, he's, I don't know what he's done in the last couple of games, but he picked it right back up and uh, he's primed for a really good year. And as we talked about last week, we'll see where he lands in the draft. It'll be interesting. But back to Keegan, it's just, it's a process. It'll be interesting to see what he does on a six game road trip. Because the road troubles have definitely been troubles for him, um, which is expected with a rookie. But you've had a couple of road trips here. You had kind of a mini version of the six-game road trip during Thanksgiving week. So hopefully he's warmed up for it, ready to go, and kind of can tie things together and kind of keep stringing together positive performances to, I guess, get us to stop talking about him. (laughs) Yeah. I would love nothing more. So, yeah, he hasn't really performed that well on the road. Um, and he's still trying to overcome that November slump. And it seems like he's getting out of it. So, that's pretty a good test for, for Keegan. Um, nothing easy against good teams. Let's see if he can really claw himself out of that slump on the road. That would be huge for him. But we'll see. Maybe he'll just, I don't know. He, he, he hasn't really looked that good on the road this year. So, I guess it'll just be interesting to see what he does. I hope he plays better on this road trip than he has on the past ones. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm, definitely. But is that is that it? You got anything else? I think that's a clean cut there at the end. That's just there you go. Right. <laughs> I think that's every. I think that's everything. I, yeah, I think that's everything too. Well, sweet. Uh, you know, thanks for all of you who who. Uh, who tuned in to this week's episode. There's a big six-game road trip coming up, <laughs> starting off with the Bucks, going to Cleveland, and then, I don't know why I started this, then New York, <laughs> on to Philadelphia, Toronto, and ending in Detroit. So a lot to, a lot to you know be interested in this road trip, see what the Kings can do. But what do you, what do you have to do to wrap this up, John? 
I just keep I've we started with defense. Defense has been such a pivotal thing. You know, we always knew it was going to be pivotal. We knew the offense was going to be be able to score. Uh, it'll be important to play defense on the road, and you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, if that's it, then I want to thank you all again for joining us. And until next time, have a good one.